and that Jesus Christ has saved us, and we can, we can trust in the sacrifice uh, of His blood uh, on the cross for that. We're going to be in 2 Peter today. You can see on the screen 2 Peter 1, 16 to 21. We're going to read just the beginning of that right now in, in a moment, 16 to 18. But before we do, it, it, and I've mentioned this before, but it's up for debate about whether the Peter of the, the Gospels, the Apostle Peter, is the Peter uh, that the book of Peter is, well, it's probably named after him, but it's unlikely that he wrote it, and this is up for debate. But what I want us to focus in on today is that whether or not Peter actually wrote this, this, this passage and this book talks about some things that are really important, and I believe that the author wanted to remind us first of a couple stories in Scripture where there were eyewitnesses, some of which the, the Peter of the Gospels was an eyewitness to. Uh, so we're going to look at a couple of those today. I've entitled the message today, The Source. Uh, it doesn't say it up there, but it, well, it says it up there. It's the Source, because we're going to be talking about some sources of Scripture, uh, First, the Holy Spirit is one of the sources, and then we're going to talk about the eyewitness sources of Scripture. So if you'll join me in 2 Peter, we're going to read 16, 17, and 18 to start. It says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice, born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. So we can see that He's kind of pointing out, there's a couple stories there buried in that. And we're going to talk about a couple of those. Uh, but the first thing that I wanted to point out here is that He talks about some eyewitnesses. He says here, we did not follow cleverly devised myths uh, when we made known uh, the power and coming of our Lord, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So it's a reminder that whether or not this is Peter, whoever this is, is saying, we were eyewitnesses. We've seen this. It could be that the writer was one of the people that traveled. I mean, we, we really only know most about the 12 that traveled with Jesus, but there was a contingency of women also that went with them. We know some of them, Mary, Mary, and Martha. Um, there are others. Uh, who we may not know by name. There was also a contingency of other followers, out of which later we know in Acts they picked one of those men to replace Judas. If you remember, the qualifications for replacing one of the 12 was that he had to have seen and witnessed everything that the other 11 that were remaining had seen. So we know there's a contingency of other people. So it could have been out of this contingency of followers somebody wrote this book. They were eyewitnesses. They named it Peter, but Peter didn't write it. However that works out, this person is saying we were eyewitnesses, we, uh, and so he's kind of lumping in uh, the apostles, uh, maybe the women that were there, the other followers who were part of the contingency that followed Christ, and that, that contingent traveled with him, and they eyewitnessed the things that he saw. And then the, the other part of this verse that really sticks out to me, it says, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. We're going to read that story in a minute. But I love this because it says we were, we were eyewitnesses and we were earwitnesses, literally, right? We were eyewitnesses of what he did and we were earwitnesses of what, what was said and what, what we heard. Let's take a look at a couple of these stories. Um, because the scripture is full of eyewitness accounts. And uh, just a word real quick on eyewitness accounts. Um, in our current court system... It only takes one witness 
One witness can be enough to convict somebody. Of course, multiple witnesses are better, but one witness is enough if the jury believes that witness. It's not a, a game of measuring how many people witnessed it or how much they saw. The, the compelling point of evidence is it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, the Scripture is full of more than just one person who eyewitnessed and earwitnessed what happened. The Bible is full of eyewitness accounts. We're going to take a look at Luke 3. It's going to be up on the screen as well, but... If you brought a Bible, turn in your Bible or turn on a, a digital device that you brought with you. Luke 3, 21 and 22 says this. Now, when all the people, this is, well, let me, let me give you a little background real quick. This is um, leading up to the baptism of Jesus, okay? We have read, if, if we had read before this, we would read about how John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, was baptizing people from the region that was around Jordan, and he was taking them to the Jordan River, and he was baptizing them. And we join in in verse 21 where it says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I love that passage of Scripture for several reasons. One of them is this. Scripture doesn't specifically call God a trinity. It's a, it's a theology that, that is derived out of Scripture, um, that, the, that, that God is three in one. He's one God, but he's got these three, uh, three I don't know if you can call them hats that he wears or three different kinds of characters that, that he uh, uh, manifests himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he's one God, three parts. And this is a place in Scripture where you, want it, where you say, okay, where does the Scripture talk about Trinity or Trinitarian God because it's not specifically named in Scripture. This is one of them where you actually see Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending, and the Father, the mouth of the Father of God saying, this is my Son. So I love this passage for that reason. And, and, and the author of Second Peter decided he wanted to put this in because he, he says, we are witnesses, eyewitnesses, earwitnesses of what happened. So this must have been something that he witnessed. And so he's writing it down and saying, we were there and we saw it happen. Another great eyewitness account, if you'll turn just a couple pages forward or a couple swipes forward, uh, Luke 9, 28. talks about another story because if you remember, he said, <clears throat> we ourselves heard the voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's the holy mountain? What is the holy mountain story? That is in Luke 9, verse 28. And actually, this was one of the stories that, that the Peter uh, of the Gospels is uh, present for. Starting in verse 28 of Luke 9, it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, he being Jesus, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothes became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with them uh, with him there, fell into a heavy sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. Those guys are always sleepy. Have you ever noticed that? They're sleepy on the Mount of Transfiguration. You'd think, okay, you see Eliza and Moses, and you're like, I'm going to take a nap. Uh, they were tired with Jesus in the garden. I don't know. Maybe there's something about human nature there. We get tired when things are important. I don't know. It, I, we'll leave that. We'll leave that for now. So they were tired. They were heavy with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with them, and the, as the men were 
parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses uh, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Peter liked to just shoot off at the mouth sometimes, ideas. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and they told no one in those days of anything of what they had seen. So they're like, scrap that whole tent idea. (laughs) We're not doing that. Um, We've been in the presence of God. It's interesting to, to pull these stories out of this passage of Peter and look at them because the, the, the passage in, in Second Peter that we're reading is, is built on the shoulders of these two stories where he says we did not follow cleverly devised myths in verse 16 of Second Peter 1. He says, we were made known the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his, of his majesty. And he reminded us of these two stories. I wanted to read them for you today because they might not have immediately come to our minds. But in that day when they heard, the, when, when, when they sit down in church or when they sat down in a, in a study or a place wherever they, were, uh, wherever they were reading scripture, wherever they were praying or preaching, and they said those two things, people would have immediately been like, oh yeah, I remember Jesus' baptism, and the holy mountain he's talking about is the Mount of Transfiguration. So I wanted us to make the connection with that today, because the writer of Second Peter is appealing to us in order to build our faith and our belief. He's reminding us of these eyewitness events, these things that came before, uh, and he wants us, based on the eyewitness and earwitness of those who recorded both the Old and New Testament's to believe. That's his purpose. He's written this so that you may believe, so that I may believe. Now, some will say the Bible's merely a book. It's just a book. It's a book like any other. It's got pages. Um, Some of them are leather bound. Some of them have our name on them. Um, Some of them are hard bound. Some of them are paper. It doesn't matter uh, what they look like, but people will say it's just a book. And they would be partly right. It is a book. Uh, it, 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 It is a book. It was written by some men, but we're going to unpack that a little bit. And, and the author of Second Peter knew that based on the eyewitness and earwitness event, some people would probably say, oh, it's just a book. We can reject it uh, because uh, it's a book like any other book. But the Bible itself makes some very important distinctions, and we're going to follow where we started in 2 Peter 1 and read the rest of the chapter, 19, 20, and 21 of chapter 1, and it says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man... But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So in case anybody said, it's just a book, the author of 2 Peter says, it's not just a book. It's something different about it. It's very special. And the scripture talks a lot about this specialness, if you will. Um, First of all, it's a book that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Yes, people sat down and wrote out the words. 
But they didn't just think, I'm going to remember the story however I remember it, and I'm just going to make up some details and throw in a little splash here like we might tend to do if we wrote a story about something that happens. We might exaggerate or embellish to make it more interesting. They didn't do that. They wrote, again it says, spoke from the, the men spoke from God or wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it was through the prompting of the filling of the Holy Spirit that they wrote the words of the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So while it's true that this is a book, it's not just a book. And it was written by men, but we're going to make a, a, a little distinction here that, uh, that, that the writers were tools in the hand of God. Like you and I would pick up a pencil or a pen or we would sit down in a computer to type it was the same with those men. It was as if God said, okay, Moses, <laughs> he used Moses <laughs> almost as a pen to write the first five books, right, of the New Testament. Uh, when he had uh, Paul sit down to write, it was almost as if Paul was a tool to write with in God's hand, and God wrote First and Second Corinthians and First, Second Timothy and First, Second Thessalonians and all the books that Paul wrote, using Paul literally as a tool. He didn't obviously pick Paul up and use him like a pen. That would be ridiculous. Scripture says that, that they, he spoke through them as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I always love have a mental image in my mind of thinking of the, the Apostle Paul writing Scripture being carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's just like a picture in my head. Um, and probably somebody's painted a picture of something like that. I don't know. But, but it suffice to say that he told God, uh, God told Paul, God told all the writers exactly what to say. Now, this passage illuminates the Bible in several ways, several very specific ways. First, it explains that we have this kind of duality relationship with the gospel, with the, with the Old Testament, the New Testament, in that there's a two-way relationship that we have with this book. And when I say relationship, you should kind of like take pause. It's like, oh, okay, relationship. Because I don't know about you, I don't have relationships with inanimate things. I like my guitar very much. It's a very nice guitar. I don't have a relationship with my guitar. Um, I like, what else do I like? Food. I like food, but I don't have a relationship with food, although I really like it. Yeah, I, like, I really like coffee, but I don't have a relationship with coffee. But we can have, I know it's weird to say, you can have a relationship with God through the Bible because the Bible is a living book. We're going to talk about that in a moment. What kind of book is this? I mean, it's, it's hard, to, hard to explain, right? Um, the book must be something special and very different. Let's take a look at Hebrews 4. Verse 12, it says this, The Word of God is living and active. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the, the thoughts and intentions of man. And I, if you have ever read the Bible, seriously sat down and studied God's Word and read through it, you understand what I'm talking about. You could read the Bible through each year, and each year God's going to do some different surgery on you. Each time you read a passage of Scripture, God's going to adjust an attitude or a thought of the heart, or He's going to cut out some sin, or He's going to adjust some way of thinking. 
And it, it doesn't matter how many times in, you, you think, okay, we're going to read the Bible again. We always, like, promote it at church. Let's read the Bible through again this year. And people are like, again? Why are we going to read the Bible through again? I read it last year. Because the Word is active. It's living. It's alive. It does surgery. It does, um, I love, I think Spurgeon might have said that. Did he call it surgery? But, but it literally does surgery in your heart, uh, in your thoughts, and in your attitudes. And the two-way relationship that he outlines uh, in, this, um, in this passage of Second Peter sounds like this. We pay attention to the Word of God. We read it. We study it. We look at it. And it lights our way in the dark world. Read that again with me uh, where it says, The prophetic word is more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as it is a lamp shining in a dark place. And it says, Until... The day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, what's the day dawning and the morning star? That's a reference to Christ. So until we have a return of Christ, until Christ comes again, we have God's holy word, His word that leads us, guides us, directs us, speaks to us. It's literally a lamp. Everybody probably memorized this scripture one. I know Lydia has this one memorized. The, the, the word of God is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. It's literally lighting the way. So we have this relationship where it lights the way and we follow it. We listen. We would do well, it says in Second Peter, to pay attention to it. Now there's a, a second point here in this part of the passage. Scriptural interpretation is a matter of God. Anyone sitting with Scripture in an attempt to interpret or understand or apply what it says must be very, very careful, taking the utmost of care. Anybody? You've ever read something in Scripture and, it, and it, you, you totally messed it up. It's like you thought it said one thing, but it said something else. Anybody ever had that happen? Yes. I'm sure we probably all have at some time. Um, that is why in every way possible, when, when we study, for, for me in particular, when I study, when I prepare to teach, I always allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. And I know I've said this before. It was one of the things one of my um, New Testament professors in seminary said. He's like, you know, um, books about the Bible are great. Commentaries are great. He said, but the Bible is the best interpreter of the Bible. So that's why when I do messages on Sunday and we read Second Peter 1, you know, whatever, we're always going to go somewhere else. Is it because I don't have enough to say? Well, maybe. But you didn't come here to hear me. <laughs> you came here to hear what the Word of God says. So when we want to know what the, the, the passage we're reading today says, we find other parts and other places in Scripture that speak into that and illuminate it. So it's very important to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. It makes no difference what I think. And it makes no difference what you think. It doesn't make any difference what we think the Bible says. It only matters what it actually says. At the heart of biblical teaching and interpretation, we want to allow the Scripture to speak with the authority that it has. Uh, God has granted it an authority that we don't have and we don't want to get in the way. So this is almost like a point of clarification, but there's a hidden warning here. Be careful with how you interpret and understand Scripture. Uh, always. Another thing that professor said, he said, if the scripture's dogmatic about it, be dogmatic. That word dogmatic means 
forceful, and I believe it, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm not going to bend. He said, if the Scripture's that way about something, then be that way about it. If Scripture is a little unclear, and if you've read the Bible at all, you know there's a couple points of theology that some denominations hold up as, man, this is like the most important thing we believe. And you read the Bible and you're like, I'm not really sure I see that. That's a thing that you're, you, you kind of step back from. Okay, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. It, it might say that. It might not say that. And until I know better, I'm not going to fight you over it. <laughs> but there's some things. And when we talk about in our new member class, there's, there's things we talk about. These are the things that we're going to stand on. Uh, God's Word uh, is is one of those things that we're going to stand on. This is something we believe it, we read it, we study it. Uh, some of the authors talk about almost like consuming it like it's food. It feeds us. It helps us to grow. It's God's Word. It's right. It's correct. It's without error. I mean, there are things we stand on in that. There are other things that, that maybe we step back from. But at the heart, remember, a biblical teaching is this idea of allowing the Bible to speak with authority that God has granted. Second Timothy, let's hear Paul a little bit here as he's teaching. Second Timothy 2, 14 to 19. You remember, this is Paul writing Timothy, who was a young pastor. He was a church planter, literally. Uh, And he's like, okay, as you're pastoring, here are some words of wisdom. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy are letters he sent to him. Here's one of the things he reminded Pastor Timothy. He said, remind them of these things, them being the people that he leads, the people that he is charged with um, shepherding in the church. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need, uh, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. There's the admonishment to the pastor, be careful, rightly handle the word of God, the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, uh, Hymenaeus and Phileas, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. That would be the second resurrection they're talking about. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. I love it. It says, he's like, okay, Timothy, here's what you do. Be very careful about what you teach. Squash irreverent babble, (laughs) nonsense. Let the Bible interpret the Bible, and when confusion arises, talk about it. Bring the Bible into it and say, okay, well, this this is babble, this is nonsense, this is confusion. He says those kinds of things in a church can be divisive and can be destructive. And he says, so when those things happen, bring the Word of God in its power and in its authority and say, this is what it says. Rightly handle the word of truth. So that's a very important thing that we do, uh, that we rightly handle it. The last thing that this points to is that the scriptural authority lies not with man, but with God. More specifically, it's in the realm of the Holy Spirit, right? Because the Holy Spirit carried along the writers and told them what to write. And as they wrote it, he was saying, and I'm sure they probably wrote it and they probably did some editing. 
And the Holy Spirit's probably like, you know, you need to move that comma. I don't actually think they have um, any uh, punctuation in Greek, so forget that. <laughs> Switch these words. Move this space. Say that different. The, the Holy Spirit would tell them what to write, and then maybe in the editing process, maybe he would, like, correct their thoughts so that it was clear. But... It's interesting that the evidence for God's authority over Scripture lies in the name of what we call this book. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. We call it the Bible. We call it God's Holy Word. We call it a lot of different things. But in reality, the Scripture all over and over again refers to itself as the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, we read a moment ago, said the, the Word of God is living and active. This is one of the primary ways we hear God right now. We can speak to Him in prayer. He can speak back to us in impressions. Some of us have even heard, maybe heard Him say something, uh, maybe in a dream or in some kind of uh, revelation. That kind of stuff happens sometimes. It, it might be rare, but it happens. But primarily, the way we hear God is through this book. So we read, we study, we, we ingest, we uh, we compare. When we're confused, we look for other places in Scripture that, that bring uh, clarity because this is the Word of God, and literally it has God's words in it. And I don't know about you, if I want to know what Lydia's thinking, I don't guess. <laughs> Anybody who's married, do you ever try to guess what your wife is thinking? Have you, have you tried to guess? How did it go? Ah, <laughs> anybody good at guessing what your wife is thinking? <laughs> Daniel, put your hand down. <laughs> oh, Renee, really? Okay, so, but you guys talk, right? If I don't talk to Lydia and I try to guess what she's thinking, forget it. Women are a mystery. We'll be 30 years married in December, and it's still a mystery. Yeah, don't, shouldn't clap for that, Daniel. Maybe you should. I mean, God created man and woman in his image, right? We're both created in the image of God, but we're different. So somehow together we, we display God and how great he is in every gender and every color, man, woman, male, female, white, black, Hispanic, Chinese, every color, every language, all of that together reveals what God's like. He must just be absolutely amazing. But if I want to know well, Lydia's thinking, I asked Lydia, do I, and I ask you, my, probably too much. How many times a day do I ask you, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking right now? <laughs> She's thinking, quit talking about me. <laughs> yeah. So if I want to know what Lydia's thinking, I talk to Lydia. If I want to know what God's thinking, what do I do? I talk to God. I pray, and I get out Scripture, and I begin reading. Where do you start reading? You know what I've discovered? is that it often doesn't matter. Anybody have that experience? When you want to know God and you want to hear God and you want to talk to God and you want to get close to God, you start reading the Bible, it doesn't matter where you start. You can start at Genesis, you can turn to Psalms, you can go to Revelation, one of the Gospels, Acts. It doesn't matter where you go because it's God's Word and He will speak to you. So the same as if you want to know what your spouse or your kids or somebody's thinking, you talk to them. If you want to know what God's thinking, 
You go to the authority of God in His Word, the Scripture, the book, the Bible, the, the, the book that we can have a relationship with. Now, Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's not going to be up on the screen. You might want to write it down and take a note. Some of you probably have this memorized, I'm sure. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Remember, it's carried along by the Holy Spirit, the men who were tools in the hands of God. He breathed out Scripture through them. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman or child may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped for every good work? You want to be prepared? You want to feel like you've got it under control? You want to feel like you're doing the right thing, living the right way, going the right place? Your life is on track? You want to feel any of that kind of stuff? This is how you do it. You, you get your Bible out and you start reading it. You ask the Lord to speak to you and He will. Why do I know that? Because it's God's Word, <laughs> right? Big G, big W, exclamation point. He will speak through it and He will teach you and equip you for everything that you need to know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that as we are challenged in this world, in this life, day to day, maybe even today, this week, with all of the ideas of the world, all of the conflicts of everything around us, the chaos of different theologies and political opinions and medical opinions and all of the things that are just flying around and it's a chaos some days it's it's a i love the word cacophony it's just a a bunch of noise lord your scripture can cut through the noise and so i pray lord that as we are in in this world hearing this noise being maybe even feeling some days like we're drowning in it that you will remind us to open your word and to sit with you quietly, to speak to you in prayer, to open our hearts and our minds to you and open this book, this book that is living and alive and active with which we can have a relationship because it leads us to you. They're your words, God. So help us, I pray, Lord, to open this book, to sit with you and to be, uh, to be trained, to be taught, to be equipped for every good work, that we might be usable in your hands, that we might be something that you can use, salt and light in this community, hands and feet to a neighbor, uh, a, a loving parent, a loving father, a loving mother, a loving spouse, somebody who can support uh, other people, not just selfish and thinking about myself, but somebody who's equipped for every good work, works that I don't even know about yet. Lord, I pray that you will do that in us and through us this week. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.